Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hello, all you Turnbuckle Turmoil fans. This is QT Boats coming at you with another edition of Turnbuckle Turmoil. Sign Guy couldn't be with us today. He's feeling a little bit under the weather. And uh, I would like to take this quick opportunity to thank John Ahonen for that song, Mad Cow Line Dance. He, has done, he just did that live, didn't you, John? Uh, yes. Actually, I'm kind of swerving, and uh, I'm, that's not really true. He's not with us live. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that was Mad Cow Line Dance for all you Turnbuckle Turmoil fans that have heard that song throughout the years. Okay. Today we have on Miranda Morales from the mysterious Southwest. She is a ring announcer and an active podcaster, just like Sign Guy and myself are. Miranda, welcome to uh, the Turnbuckle Turmoil Show. And we ask you the standard uh, first-timer's question. I think you're a first-timer. How did you get started in this crazy business? Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I think this is actually my second time. I, I was on sometime last year um, with you and Fine Guy, and it was it was a lot of fun. So I'm really happy to to be back. Um, and for those who you know, this is, could be the first time for those listening for the first time. So you know, there's always a first time for somebody out there. <laughs> um, but now for for ring announcing, um, I've been ring announcing um, for several. Several years now, I guess, going on, gosh, math is hard, 18, 19, so four, about four years, um, and I got my start in 2017 in Albuquerque, New Mexico, with a promotion called Destiny Wrestling Organization, DWO, and I started off with, as a fan coming to a few shows, and um, at one point, they were looking for people to join their team. Um, they used the term intern, actually. In recruitment and uh, me being a grown adult thought well what can I do as an intern but you know I loved professional wrestling as a kid and I always wanted to be a part of it in some capacity so it was very hard for me to pass up an opportunity to work um, on the independent you know level so I started working with Destiny Wrestling Organization in a backstage interviewer role but within a few months I was in front of a crowd uh, as a ring announcer and as they say the rest is history Wow. Okay. That's a, a, who, who approached you first at Destiny Wrestling? Was it the general manager? And if so, can you tell us his or her name? Yeah. So actually, the way that I met them was a 
a, a little bit more out of the ordinary, but also very ordinary. Um, I actually met them through a Comic-Con that, that was happening in Albuquerque. I think it was the Albuquerque Comic-Con, um, and this was, I think, maybe December of 2016 or January of 2017. And they had a table out there um, as a booth. And I went to the table, and there was a few guys there. Um, uh, you had... Um, you know, a few of the regulars there, Johnny Kay, um, who was, a, you know, a wrestler, but also one of the promoters and managers at the time. Um, Dex, I think, was also there. And then uh, one of, someone that I've, I've grown to work a lot with and admire, Gino Rivera, was there representing the company as a wrestler. Um, and so I was there just talking with the group about, you know, being a wrestling fan and enjoying their shows. And that's when they first brought up, you know, that they were looking for people to join their team. So I, um, you know, had such a good impression of just talking with them on a casual level. And that encouragement to apply really was that push for me to reach out to them later on and, um, you know, see how I could work with them. And it was Johnny Kay that was the person who was ultimately the person I met with later on. And it was a bit like an interview. I remember leaving work and, like, having my resume in a formal letter of interest sent. And so we just talked, and, and anywhere from, you know, the interest in wrestling to how DWO got started and some ideas. And, you know, from there I went to the first show, um, and and didn't leave until they just stopped running. I told them, I'm going to be coming to these shows as long as you have them. But that initial team of, of Dex and Johnny K, and even my first react interaction with Gino Rivera was one that left such an impression on me as far as a promotion that was willing to take chances on people, bringing in new people, being creative, um, and also just having fun. Wow, all right. So, uh, Gino Rivera was at the initial interview, correct? Yes, Gino Rivera, yep. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Okay. He wasn't at the initial interview. I'm sorry. He was it, He was there the first time I met the kind of promoters and, and managers at, at um, Destiny Wrestling. Um, but the, the interview that I had, the one-on-one interview was with Johnny Kay. Okay, all right. Well, now, did Johnny K issue you, uh, uh, usher you into a, room, a, a kind of rather uh, nondescript room, and the questions were starting standard, like, uh, why do you want to be in this business? Do you have an educational or sports background? General questions like that. And then did the questions start to turn a little bit sinister and uncomfortable uh, seeing how you would react, how would you react under pressure? Was it something like that, like under white hot spotlight? Yeah. No, actually, the initial interview was you know much more standard. It wasn't until I got into the show and did my first interview that's where it was more on the spot on the job training. I think uh, the first meeting was more just a general get to know you. 
and, uh, you know, here's the background of us. But when you get to the actual show, that's when, one, I definitely saw the, the most creativity happen um, and, and everyone, you know, really working together to put on the best show. But that is constantly where I got thrown the curveballs. That's constantly where, you know, I was challenged and whether, you know, with other people's ideas or my own, really pushing and challenging myself as an interviewer and a ring announcer. And sometimes you absolutely did not know what was going to happen, um, whether it was a backstage interview or in the middle of the ring. And that happens intentionally, you know, and it's to get that pure reaction, not just for you, but for the crowd. And I have a better appreciation for that going through those rigors um, with Destiny Wrestling. It's, you know, the true reaction you have in front of a crowd is the one that is the most authentic, and the crowd notices that. Well, okay, Miranda, this month on the Turnbuckle Turmoil Show, we have wrestlers who are into stand-up comedy, who do stand-up comedy at some uh, clubs. And uh, it sounds like when you first got into the ring, uh, it could be kind of like a a situation where you're doing stand-up comedy, or at least you had the microphone in your hand and you were talking to the crowd. Is stand-up comedy something in the future that you would consider, like our wrestlers that we have on this month? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like, if I'm going to be honest, absolutely not. Miranda Morales is not a comedian at any level. I leave that up to the professionals. I actually, I was doing a show during uh, SummerSlam weekend in Las Vegas. Um, I believe it was No Peace Underground that was out there in town. And uh, we had kind of a lull between matches. And so I was there just you know, bridging the gap and and trying to stretch my time. And someone in the crowd yells out, tell a joke. And I swear I couldn't even articulate a joke because I I am just not the type of person who could come up with a joke, even if it is the world's oldest knock-knock joke, which I believe I tried to do and I forgot it in the middle of my joke. I could not do. So I've literally tried to tell a joke in the middle of the ring and it fell flat. And um, ironically, later on, a few minutes later, um, I was announcing EC3 to come to the ring. And after I do, do that, I, I hand him the mic so he could cut a promo. The first thing he looks at me and he says, that was a terrible joke. So on top of not being a good comedian, I've also gotten feedback from, you know, EC3 telling me that I'm a terrible comedian. So I'm just going to stick to my day job um, and and just keep on with announcing and interviewing. Okay, so there will be no future where Miranda Morales will come out to the crowd and say, good evening, ladies and germs. I'm Miranda Morales. I just went from Albuquerque, and boy, are my arms tired. No future in that? <laughs> No future in that. <laughs> Absolutely not. That was a way better joke than I could ever say. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, no Sam Kinison, the screamer. Sam Kinison. No. no, no. I, you know, I, I can scream. I just, you know, I think even Sam Kinison, that his comedy was so humorous because he had the jokes, but the volume that he would just yell at, too, you know, was almost that you, it was like, 
knucklehead type, like, you know, just trying to be in common sense into people. And it's just, gosh, it was always funny. It was As a kid, I didn't quite get it, but as an adult, I very much appreciate it. Well, Miranda, as you know, Sam Kinison played Professor Turgeson, a history professor, in the movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. Did you happen to see this movie, Back to School? I've seen it, but it was many years ago, so I I don't remember all the parts of it. But, yeah, that is a, a pretty hilarious movie. Oh, okay. Well, you might remember the part where Sam Kinison starts his lecture about the Vietnam War, and this was the first day that Rodney Dangerfield was in his class, and Sam Kinison was asking several students about uh, the Vietnam War and why we lost, and then he gets in Rodney Dangerfield's face and yells at him why they couldn't kick the North Vietnamese back across the 38th parallel, and Rodney Dangerfield, to his credit, comes back and gives a heated answer himself. And Sam Kinison says, oh, good answer. I like that. Keep my eye on you. But this leads into the question, who do you think could have won in a Hell in a Cell match, Sam Kinison or Rodney Dangerfield? Oh, man. Well, I feel like Simon Kennison has the anger and aggression you need in Hell in a Cell. You know, Hell in a Cell is a whole different level, a whole level of intensity, a whole mindset that you need to put in, you know, to get in in order to really handle what you're about to do in, in the area around you. But Rodney Dangefield was, uh, you know, very deceptively athletic. If you remember in the movie, too, you know, his whole diving career. <laughs> so I feel like uh, Rodney Dangerfield would have been somebody who could have performed well in Hell in a Cell, uh, you know, better than we think, just because, man, you know, the, the guy has a better build than, than many of us think. But I don't know. I just feel like who would, if there was maybe he would be better at it, I would say Sam Kinison. Oh, okay. All right. And for all you Turnbuckle Turmoil fans out there, Rodney Dangerfield, when he did that diving scene off various um, diving boards, the move was called the Triple Lindy. (laughs) The Triple Lindy. It sounds like a hamburger. I remember seeing somewhere. It sounds like for some reason that would be a big burger that you would eat. Oh, yes, yes, like a cheeseburger. Okay, yes. Yes. I agree with that. Okay. But now that also begs the question, Miranda, did you yourself have an athletic background in high school? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, On top of not being very good at comedy, I am also not very athletic. Um, I did try a a few different sports here and there. The one that stuck the longest was uh, track and field. Um, And, again, I was not good at it, but I literally tried almost every event to try and see if I could find a niche, if there was something that I could be good at. Um, I tried, uh, you know, throwing the shot put and the discus. Um, I tried uh, long-term races like the mile, um, long jump, 
you know, if there was an event, I at least tried it once. Um, but I would say that what ended up sticking was the 800, which is the event in which you do uh, two full laps around a track. Um, and it's a mix of, you know, speed because, you you know, it's not a full mile, but you still need to pace yourself um, in order to do well. And, uh, you know, it took a lot of hard work, especially because I was just never good with athletics. But I remember something the coach at the time said to me um, that always stuck with me, and literally years and years later, and I, I, it was because I was very frustrated with the fact that I was not athletic and I would see so many other people on the team, they wouldn't have to even try, and they would do well. But I would still come to practice. I would still show up. I would still put in the effort. And one time the coach looked at me, and he said, I'd rather have 100 of you than one of them. And he was, you know, referencing someone who was, you know, really athletic but didn't have necessarily the commitment to it. He said, because you always show up. And that was it meant a lot to me at the time because I knew, well, if you have 100 of me, that means you're having a losing team. But it was that acknowledgement of the hard work and just showing up and being there and trying how much that was appreciated. And sometimes, you know, and just that visibility of, man, I'm trying my hardest. Even though I'm not good at this, I'm trying. And that acknowledgement meant so much to me because a lot of times in life, you're going to try things that you're not good at. And sometimes you can grow to be good at them, and sometimes you won't. But putting in the effort and the time to try is worth much more than not trying at all. Um, Or, you know, for some people, you could be naturally gifted in something, and you may not need to try as much. But if you don't put that heart into it, it's not going to be the same. Um, And it's not going to feel the same when you know, you succeed and and you win or you do something great. So um, though athletically it's not been my thing, I learned a lot of great lessons from being an athlete in high school or at least trying to be an athlete in high school that I carry to this day. Wow, very nice. Okay. For for the the Turnbuckle Turmoil logbook, can you – do you remember the name of that coach that gave you that compliment, name of the coach? That is Mr. Farr. I forgot his first name, but Mr. Farr was, was the teacher's slash coach's name. Oh, okay. All right. Well, now, uh, a lot of your track and field, uh, uh, it all depends on how much effort you put into it. I'd say all the um, events require f- uh, finesse, like the pole vault especially. You've got to be part yeah. gymnast there. But I was interested in your 800 meters because – uh, I went on YouTube and I looked up a gold medal winner from uh, the Olympics in the 800 meters. He was a Kenyan, a Kenyan runner, and his mm-hmm. name is Dave Disha. And he set the world record at the Olympics, and it was like one minute, 40 seconds, point nine. Um, he ran to have run his first laps in a lot of races in just under 50 seconds. And uh, like I said, he's the only man to dip under one minute, 41 seconds. And it was his goal to run the half mile in 100 seconds, 100 seconds. Yes. Okay. But uh, we give out 
uh, homework assignments on the Turnbuckle Turmoil show, and you might may want to look up David Rudisha, Olympic gold medalist, and, and his world record run. You'll be blown away. Huh. I will do that even right now. Uh, gold medal. Lord. Run. Uh, David okay. Rudisha? Rudisha, R-U-D-I-S-H-A. Rudisha. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Two right. gold medals. Right? Yes. Like, he was a double gold wow. medal winner. Okay. Well, Miranda, I was interested uh, and my ears perked up when you mentioned Albuquerque Comic Con because in a seminal moment in the Big Bang Theory sitcom, Raj Guther Pauly uh, and the gang dressed up to go to a Comic Con, and Raj Guther, Pro- Raj Guther Pauly was dressed as Aquaman, and Penny was dressed as Wonder Woman. <laughs> Out of all that cast, which one would you think would be the best wrestler? Oh, gosh. I mean, I have to say Penny. Um, I mean, she grew up in more of a smaller community, so she definitely is a little bit more rough and tumble. Um, You know, she definitely is the toughest out of everybody in the cast, though I do feel like Bernadette is a a spark plug. You get her running, and she will mess somebody up. Um, So I feel, uh, though I think maybe uh, Penny has more of the – Physical, you know, ability, I also think Bernadette has more of that anger that, you know, she could definitely go, you know, all ultimate warrior on somebody. Okay, all right. In your uh, wrestling venues, and if, when, or maybe fans, if they watched you, would they say you are more like Penny or Bernadette in temperament Ooh. yourself? Oh, my gosh, that's a good point. Ah, because I would I would say maybe a little bit more Bernadette, and I would say because it could flip. For the most part, I am very, you know, uh, a little bit more quiet and a little uh, more on just the shyer side, um, and and then once something happens or I flip, I turn into kind of a different person depending on who I'm talking to. So I would definitely say actually I would probably maybe, you know, sometimes more of the uh, the humor of, of Penny and kind of that real world, you know, view. But I would say the way I probably act is a lot more like Bernadette. Okay. All right. Well, Miranda, in addition uh, when you have time to watching David Rudisha, 800-meter world record holder, <laughs> there is another video you might want to watch. Uh, it's Raj Guthrapali and Howard Wallowitz on the wrestling mat. They're dressed up in freestyle wrestling uniforms, and they each challenged each other to a wrestling match. And uh, they actually look like lightweights in a, in a collegiate or high school wrestling uniform. And, you know, they have the headgear on, but all they do is keep circling each other on the yeah. mat and French talking each other, and they actually never wrestle. It's very funny. <laughs> you might yeah, want to watch it. 
Definitely, I have to revisit. I may have seen that clip somewhere along the way, but, you know, yeah, Big Bang is one of those shows that you have to kind of watch over and over again because there's so many pretty funny clips. Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Howard and Raj Wrestling. Okay. Well, Amanda, <laughs> wrestling sources out of Shelton, Washington, have told me that one of your favorite venues that you worked recently was the Agua Caliente Casino in Cathedral City, California. Can you tell our listeners if this was an outdoor night event? It was, yes, outdoor night event. Oh, okay. Can you tell us a little bit about the opening opening a card and who were the participants and how many wrestlers were indeed on the card? Can you tell us about the opening event? Oh, gosh. Man, I feel like this is a security question. <laughs> it's like to verify who I am. I just mean that I, I slept since then. Oh, I do have some notes, I just remember. So, um, yeah, so this was a really fun venue. This was actually um, the first venue in California I had worked. Um, so that was very a very um, cool uh, experience um, to be at this. And this was a Lucha Libre show, so definitely a different type of format in the sense that um, a lot of multi-person matches, um, the crowd was a mix of wrestling fans and non-wrestling fans. You had families there, um, people throughout the community. And this was, I believe, the first time they've had a wrestling show at Agua Caliente Casino. Um, But the opening match was a four corners match um, with four very different wrestlers. Um, it featured Reptilio, who is a reptile luchador, uh, Primo Genio Trebeca, who is much more of like a badass rock star, um, Koto Hiro, who um, has very much of a big Japanese influence in his wrestling style, um, and then Remy Marcel, who is a very well-known wrestler based out of Las Vegas, uh, gangster-looking kind of dude, um, and has wrestled really throughout the West Coast and around the world um, in China as well. So he brings a lot of experience uh, to this match, and it was a great opener for fans uh, because of, of a four corners match, you know, you have the continuous movement, the continuous action in the ring, different personalities and movesets happening all at once. Um, and it really got the crowd riled up. Um, this too was, again, my very first Lucha Libre show. So it was also finding the mix of finding the right tone of English and Spanish um, with this, which is something that I've always wanted to do and have been got as many opportunities, but it's growing to do more, you know, ring announcing or introductions in Spanish. So I was really excited for this show, and this match set the tone for, for this uh, entire show. And it was great. I mean, in here um, there was a lot of Lucha, Lucha, Lucha Libre legends, um, on the show as well, including Psychosis, Psychosis, um, who had been, you know, wrestling as part of the cruiserweight division in WCW. He was with ECW um, in the 90s. He even had some time in WWE, a real Lucha Libre legend. Um, also the Solars, Solar and Solar Jr. Um, 
You had Birata Morgan, Misterioso, who is a growing name out here on the West Coast, um, Ray Leon. Uh, It was just a very, um, you know, humbling experience to be with, you know, those Lucha Libre legends and to be in a community that just really embraced wrestling and Lucha Libre. And it was just an exciting, really exciting show. But that first match um, I loved because of the fact that each wrestler that came out had their very own personality and distinct way that, you know, they made the crowd feel. And that's a hard thing to do in a multi-person match, but they did that. Wow. Well, the one wrestler name that jumped out at me was that Reptilio. How big of a person is this Reptilio? Does he go uh, – first of all, is it a female Reptilio or a male Reptilio? Well, it would be male. I don't know if in the Spanish pronunciation, you know, some words have a male and female connotation. So I don't know if it was female, so it would be Reptilia. Uh, as so, but the 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 wrestler reptilio was male. Um, the size maybe you know a little bit more on the smaller side, um, as as we see with a lot of luchadors are a little bit a smaller frame. Um, but that just means that they're a little quicker and harder to catch. Oh yes, now uh, you know it'd be weird if reptilio came out to uh, or at least underneath a, a weather system called La Nina or El Nino. <laughs> <laughs> yes, kind of. That would be so confusing. Yes, <laughs> reptilio. Well, I don't know. For me, that reptilio sounds kind of sinister. Did he, are there any truths to the rumors that reptilio came out to the entrance music of Godzilla by Blue Oyster Cult? Oh, I'm trying to go back to that. I don't think he did, but there was there another person um, on the card, maybe Monster Jr., um, who was another, you know, he was a bigger guy who came out to that. But I, I want to, I think everyone came out to Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, at least for that oh. four corners match. Wow. Yes. Now, yes. speaking of rock rock and roll and entrance music, the great drummer, Charlie Watts, drummer for about 45 years for the Rolling Stones, recently passed away. Now, there was a uh, incident where Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, the guitar player, were out drinking one night, and they came back to the hotel, and Mick Jagger's was three sheets to the wind, and he was yelling, <laughs> where's the drummer boy? which was Charlie Watts. And uh, he phoned up to Charlie Watts's room, you know, and uh, was kind of uh, spouting gibberish and calling him drummer boy. And about 20 minutes later, Charlie Watts dressed out, decked out in a full tuxedo, uh, coats and tails, and uh, yeah, wearing a fine perfume, uh, knocked on Mick Jagger's door. Mick Jagger opens it up, and Charlie... Watts gave him a right cross and almost oh. knocked Mick Jagger out the window. My question is, do you think that Charlie Watts, uh, one of the uh, top ten drummers in rock history, in my opinion, would have made a good wrestler? 
because he always kept near cruiser weight. Uh, he always kept his weight down. That's what I'm yeah. trying to get at. Charlie Walton. Yeah. I mean, I don't see why not, especially if he can kind of have that quick action and, and almost, you know, knock Mick Jagger out. I would say why not? Um, I, I think, you know, with cruiserweights especially, one of the things they were known for still are is how fearless they are. And, and sometimes they wrestle with kind of a little bit of reckless abandonment. Is that the way he approached fighting? I think he would have made a great cruiserweight. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Miranda, speaking of cruiserweights and lucha wrestling, one of my top favorite wrestlers was Eddie Guerrero. And I always liked it when he came down to the ring as low rider. Were you a big fan yourself of Eddie Guerrero? I definitely was more with his, you know, uh, work in WCW uh, in the Cruiserweight division. That was really my first exposure to him. Um, and a lot of wrestling in, in the, you know, mid to late 90s. Um, I loved, as I got older, seeing the progression of just, you know, a wrestler to more of a personality. And I think, too, what set him apart was that a lot of the cruiserweights, it almost felt like their characters were a little one-dimensional because the focus was much more on their wrestling. But Eddie got into some deeper layers of, of character and personality, um, very similar to like a, a Chris Jericho, as someone that you could peel back the layers and get to see different sides of him. And, you know, the, the whole cheat, lie, and steal, uh, you know, gimmick, too, was hilarious because it just, you know, made fun of someone who was uh, having fun in the ring. It really projected something that fans would then, like, anticipate, you know, when is it going to happen? Um, and I, I just loved seeing that as, you know, a fan. Um, and even his death was something that actually got me back into wrestling for a while. I had stopped watching for several years. And when um, news about his death came out, I remember watching that memorial show because the last memorial show I had seen before that was Owen Hart. And I just remember how prolific that was as a fan and as a kid to see such a human side to wrestling. And so I remember, you know, getting back into the fold after his death because it was very much a, a thing for me of pulling back things that I remember in my childhood and paying homage to that and also honoring, you know, someone who definitely made me a fan of pro wrestling. Yeah, it seemed like the like uh, uh, I distinctly remember the Big Show was pretty deeply affected by Eddie Guerrero's uh, death. Uh, and uh, speaking of Eddie Guerrero, were you a big fan of when he started courting uh, China and he gave her red roses mm-hmm. <laughs> and calling? Her I love, yeah. You know that was such. I remember talking about that pairing in a way just recently because it was one of those really unique odd couples that worked. You know, China herself, too, had been the ninth wonder of the world and was the bodyguard, you know. But when she was with Eddie, it was romanticized a bit, you know. She had she was looked at in more of a feminine way, and I think that that was a good balance compared to also, you know, the strength and the power um, that we saw her in in previous roles, too. It was a fun, odd couple, you know, like it was comical. It had a lot of personality. It was endearing. You know, you rooted for them. And also at that time, you had seen, you know, 
the 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 heartbreak you felt, you know, China and other kinds of, you know, love situations prior, like with Mark Henry, you know, um, and you just, you know, that, that didn't turn out well. So to have something that you could see, you know, her genuine smile with it, you could tell they were having fun with it. And it was really one of the best couplings that WWE ever put together. Yes, uh, Mark Henry was no, once known as the essential chocolate, and he once wound up in bed with Mae Young. Yes. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, gosh. Please. That that whole hand situation, and it, it still doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how I turned out to be a normal adult after watching that because that whole thing was entirely strange and made no sense. And, you know, borderline disturbing. Well, you know, there. I don't think they, I'm sure, I'm 99.9% sure they, of course, they never met in the ring. But you know what would have been a great uh, match to see would have been Awesome Kong and China, if you could kind of time travel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, talk about dream matches. I think that would be one where fans would love to see two powerful, insanely, you know, uh, athletic to strong women in the ring. You know, women who have no problem facing men, no problem being tough, no problem, you know, uh, being intense. Um, That would have definitely been a dream match. Okay, all right. Uh, I, I agree with that. Okay. Well, Miranda, is it one of your goals, or would you like to see yourself being listed in Pro Wrestling Illustrated one day? Um, you know, there's always a dream like that. Anytime you see your name or your work or yourself in a publication, you know, it's always a big deal because to get to that level means that there's that level of acknowledgement and recognition, you know, by, by somebody else of that, you know, caliber. So, I, yeah, I think it always would be great to see that, you know, and, and have that one day. It's, I, I'd be lying if I said I, I wouldn't. Okay. All right. Very good. Okay. Well, Miranda, out here in the Northwest, we have a wrestler called the Ideal Reflection, and he carries a mirror to the ring. He is the equivalent of a male diva. He is like a peacock bird who likes to show off his feathers. (laughs) He has been known to look out at the crowd and say, you people wish you could have abs, abs like these. And you people are one cheeseburger away from a diabetic coma. My question is, do you have any wrestlers that you have around your area for, uh, that are like the Northwest wrestler, the ideal reflection? Um, I don't know about like identical to the ideal reflection as I think about it, but there's definitely – certain wrestlers that make me think about a little bit more flamboyant and, you know, focus on their looks a little bit for very different reasons. Uh, One I would say, the one that comes to mind a lot is the bearded lady. Um, She is, well, not even she, it is a male wrestler. However, he refers to himself as the bearded lady, um, and he has a, a full beard and long beautiful set of hair, um, dress, wrestles in a dress, 
um, and has really taken um, this level of originally kind of more of a sideshow gimmick into a full personality. And the bearded lady, you know, always tries to have the best dresses. Um, makeup game has stepped up. Um, you know, even the undergarments uh, <laughs> is there. Sometimes she has put on very particular undergarments, you know, for special shows. And, you know, the, the level of fashion for her is very much, you know, top caliber. So um, if someone is, and I've, even have some clips of doing her makeup, of trying to do her makeup. And, you know, she's very particular about what she, you know, he wants. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a one where there's definitely people out there who are very picky and, and have very particular needs about their looks and very focused on that. And the bearded lady is one of them. Uh, another person on the very other end of the spectrum um, is Jay Vidal, and what I mean by that is he is flashy. He definitely knows what looks good, um, but that is just because he, you know, self-proclaimed is a bad bitch. He knows, you know, what's up. He knows, um, you know, fashion. He knows what he looks good, and but he has every capability in the ring to back that up. Wow. All right. Okay. Very good. Well, Miranda, that ideal reflection out here kind of reminds me of Ravishing Rick Rude. Were you a big fan of Ravishing Rick Rude, especially when he worked with Bobby the Brain Heenan? (laughs) You know, so definitely, again, I started watching more in the 90s where Rick Rude had evolved into more of a manager role, so I didn't really get to see his other work as a wrestler until I was a little bit older. So I would say when I first started, I had no idea, you know, who Rick Rude was in, you know, the character that he was in the 80s and even 90s. With that, I have a better appreciation for him now as an adult in the sense that his character and the way he was able to rile people up was fantastic. It was genius. And, you know, all the things that he would do with his ambiance, his look, and, of course, having, you know, uh, being able to to have the mouthpiece of a Bobby the Brain Heenan, I mean, anybody would benefit from that. But, I mean, yeah, he was just someone who – when I was younger, I couldn't understand, and maybe luckily I didn't understand as a kid what he was trying to do. But now that I'm older, definitely, I mean, is, he's a, a magnet for heat and drama and just, you know, a textbook, solid, amazing worker and heel. Yes, and he was he was pretty tough. I mean, as a kid, he grew up in Minnesota, and he played a lot of hockey. So I'm sure he had a, a quite a uh, his share of uh, hockey fights. Yeah. And um, I remember, uh, I wouldn't say the start of his downfall, but he was in a match with Sting, where uh, he got thro- thrown through the ropes, I believe, through the ropes. And he hit a barrier, I believe, a ringside barrier on his lower back. And uh, he fractured a disc, from what I hear, really ruptured it. Oh, And gosh, even it. though he had that ruptured disc, he was able to continue with the match. 
And you could even see him climb to the top turnbuckle and do um, a bonsai splash. I, I believe it was with Sting. But to do, be able to even climb to the top turnbuckle or move and, and do a splash like that with a ruptured disc shows the, uh, you know, the toughness of the, of the person. He, uh, you know, his wrestling career kind of rapidly, uh, as far as number of matches went, really tailed off after that. There's YouTube video out there. I had no idea. Yes. That's fascinating. And it, I'm pretty sure it was against Sting, but you can see the moments where his lower back smashes into into this, uh, yes. you know, ringside barrier. And yes. really it's, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But that begs the question, Miranda, what are some of the injuries you yourself have seen in the ring? Oh, gosh. I mean, um just I, I talked a little bit earlier about uh, the No Peace Underground show back during um, SummerSlam weekend in Las Vegas, and that show was much more built around a uh, hardcore wrestling match. Um, so it was my first time being live in person seeing uh, a hardcore match. And though luckily no one seemed to have gotten injured, it was the first time that I was around when people were getting smashed with light tubes. And people wearing dog collars in a dog collar fight, and you know the utilization of of you know chairs everywhere, and it was a very intense. It was very intense being there in person and seeing that. I literally remember during a match, um, someone had hit somebody else over the head with light tubes, and I was like you know, just a few feet away to the point where you, you know, when, when the light tube breaks, there's a lot of particles and dust that come up, which I didn't even realize. So I didn't have my mask nearby to cover my mouth um, to, to make sure I wasn't inhaling anything. Um, and so I, I was hiding behind someone who happened to be D'Lo Brown right there, just making sure I did not get any of these light tube particles around my face. And, you know, I could only imagine what that is like to have hit, you know, for someone to get hit over, you know, the, the head or the body with that. Um, and definitely, you know, there was blood around. It was a very just intense match, but really one of my first times being there in person. Um, I've also seen, you know, other types of, you know, no DQ matches where things like um, guardrails had been used, um, lots of other kinds of crazy weapons. And for sure, uh, one person, actually, someone I had mentioned earlier, Remy Marcel, had been in a match with, um, uh, trying to remember his name, but he's a, a wrestler who's notorious for using these skewers and sticking them into somebody's head. And literally he drove these skewers into Remy's head. And when he pulled them out, he had all these little tiny dots all over his head because essentially it's like these almost pickup sticks, the pointy pickup sticks just pierced through his head. And literally he had all these, his head, you know, kind of gushing with with blood because of these little tiny um, dots. Um, of, of blood, but uh, I would say one of the most brutal injuries, and this one was more completely by accident, 
It was a Lucha Libre show here in Tucson, and a wrestler had done kind of, a, I think it was a moonsault. Um, he was um, on the ring apron on the outside, and he was trying to land, um, you know, in between the, the barricade and the ring, and his... Um, not his leg. I was gonna say his, um, not his ankle. I guess whatever is in, and not the knee. Whatever is just like the the leg portion of his his leg. I guess um, landed right on the um, barricade on the on the steel barricade, and just he broke his leg. Um, just just snapped it, and so that was you know to the point where like they had to stop the match. They stopped the show. The ambulance had to come and take him away, you know, and he broke his leg. Um, and that was just it was the opening matchup, you know, with all those things that it was just a freak accident. But, you know, it, it literally stopped the entire show because he cleanly broke his leg just, you know, just doing a standard, not standard move because, you know, not very many people do moonsaults out into the <laughs> outside of the ring. But, you know, it was something that, you know, he thought he had enough spacing for, he didn't, ended up, you know, hurting his leg pretty bad. Oh, boy, yeah. You've really got to watch yourself if you take off from that middle or top turnbuckle. You can slip and, and tear out an mm-hmm. ACL. Yeah, yes. yeah, absolutely could. Well, Miranda, as you remember, one of the uh, top um, moonsault moments gone wrong was when Brock Lesnar took off mm-hmm. on the top turnbuckle and he tried to hit that uh, moonsault on Kurt Angle and he landed on his neck. But if it was pretty much any other wrestler uh, who did not have the build of Brock Lesnar or that college wrestling experience, uh, you know, he could have easily had a broken neck. Uh, I know Kurt Angle had a broken neck, and he wrestled yeah. uh, in the NCAA championships with a broken neck. What are your yeah. views on broken The most scariest injury? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think all injuries have a level of scariness to it. I have fortunately never been very severely injured like that, but I can't imagine how someone just functions. With a broken neck, I don't know how you can walk. I don't know how you can move. I don't know in the case of Kurt Angle how you wrestle. I have no idea how that's even possible. So I just, you know, it it just stuns me as to how this actually happens. Uh, I but I don't I don't I don't like them. <laughs> I think they're terrible. Yeah, boy, it's uh, the neck is. Um, I don't know where uh, you. You know, Mike Tyson had a good neck, you know, and uh, I'm uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and your heavier wrestlers, they had necks like fire plugs, you know, but uh, neck's kind of a weak point in wrestlers. Necks, yes. Okay. Boy, that's a bad. Anyway, now speaking of abs and uh, uh, ravishing Rick Rude, who is known for his abs, one person that may not have been known for his abs was Rikishi Fatu. Now, do you? Uh, I I always liked it when Rikishi Fatu did his dance dance steps with Scotty Tuhati in the ring. Would the wrestlers in the Southwest describe you as a good dancer? 
no, there's actually not a, a lot of things, if anything, I'm good at. Um, so we've already established I'm not good at comedy. I'm not good at, at athletics. And I'm, I'm definitely not a good dancer. Um, I do have one of my, you know, favorite luchadors, uh, Aguila. Um, he's actually gotten me to dance in the ring. Um, we've, we've done a few turns, and uh, that, that, you know, he caught me off guard to my defense but it didn't go quite so well. But we still, you know, did, did our little dance in there. Um, but I am not, I don't have the smooth moves. I don't really have rhythm. I don't have a lot of good movement. That's why I think as a ring announcer, I excel in just standing there because if anything life has taught me is I just, I'm not good with movement. Oh, well, now you have movement. You, were a, you, you improved in the 800 meters putting in high school. Yes, that's true. It took a lot of time and effort, but the the highest I ever, the best I ever did was third place um, in a, in a race, and I think that was out of like eight total. So it was actually like a you know not third out of three. It was like third out of like eight. So that was the best performance I ever did, and that to this day the best performance I ever did. <laughs> Well, now that's not bad. Would, would you describe yourself as a front front runner in front of the pack, or did you hang out near the middle of the pack relying on your kick? Um, I think I was definitely more towards the back, maybe not relying on the kick. I just was not very fast. So I just, I just naturally ended up there because I just did not have the speed. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, Miranda, boot camp keeps people in shape, and throughout the years we have had uh, quite a few uh, people that have served in the military on the Turnbuckle Turmoil Show, including recently a young man who uh, was in the Navy on the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk, which has now been decommissioned. My question is, what branch would you most like to serve in if you could go back in time oh and enlist? Would you? Would it be the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, or uh, National Guard? Man, can I count Space Force? <laughs> I oh, just the, don't, the I don't, Force, yeah. and I really... Well, so I was watching, I think it was a Navy Fed commercial, um, and it's one of those, you know, banks that specifically are for those, you know, who have served in the military and their family members. And in that commercial, they list Space Force as a branch of military they recognize. So I just wanted to put that out there, that if Navy Fed recognizes that, I think we can recognize it too. But I only say that because I am definitely not tough enough or any branch of the military. I actually, I have, you know, cousins in the military. Um, I have one in the Army, one in the Navy. Um, I grew up in a place called Yuma, Arizona, which is a Marine, um, has a Marine station there. So I'm very familiar with, you know, that, that branch of the military, growing up in a military town and having some friends whose families are in the military. And it's incredibly tough, any branch. I know there's that competition within branches of the military themselves, but, uh, you know, uh, and I can't say I know anything about Space Force, but it would be kind of cool to go up in space. Um, and if, you know, you give me the option of where I'd like to be, I'm going to try going to space. I'm going to go shoot for the stars, you know. So I'm I'm gonna really? do my best to join the space force. 
Oh, very nice. Okay. I I think you'd uh, probably be better off in space than on a cramped uh, destroyer out at sea for right. about six months. Okay. Yeah, I get I do get motion sickness, so actually the Navy would absolutely be out because I I get motion sick. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Miranda, can you tell us about this podcast uh, that you are on? I believe it's called Lucha Central Podcast, and you have a co-host, Dusty Murphy. Yeah, actually, um, I have two co-hosts, Dusty Murphy and Brendan Barr, and as a trio, we all host the um, Lucha Central Weekly Podcast on luchacentral.com. Luchacentral.com is a place that focuses on Lucha Libre and Lucha, you know, adjacent um, news and events and shows. Um, And so our focus is always highlighting the week that was in Lucha Libre. Um, and we are actually part of two shows. There is a Lucha Central Weekly Podcast English edition and a Spanish edition, which is all done in Spanish, hosted by Pep Carrera. And, um, yeah, we really go through the world of pro wrestling. We cover literally as many promotions as we possibly can each and every week, from WWE to AEW to Impact Wrestling to Ring of Honor, MLW, AAA, CMLL, we also cover independent promotions throughout the U.S. and also throughout Mexico. Um, we cover, you know, news stories that we hear about. Um, we are close-knit with Mass Republic, which is a company that does licensing and products for um, Lucha, uh, for luchadors and luchadoras. So we even go sometimes into, you know, mask making and merchandising and content that is out there in the world of Lucha Libre. And it's really, you know, it is very focused on Lucha Libre, but we always try to tie it into other big stories. And we also do, you know, something I really love about it is just educating people about Lucha Libre, whether it's elements of Lucha Libre that are a little bit different than, you know, American pro wrestling to the history of Lucha Libre and how it ties into, you know, pop culture of Latin America to even sharing about how, you know, some wrestlers that we know and and love on the American side have had some influence or have had some time in Mexico that people didn't know about. Um, And so we talk about match history and people's histories with different promotions. And so that's also pretty educational as well. Um, But it's a a great podcast that you can find at LuchaCentral.com. It's also on all major podcast platforms. And it's also streamed at thechairshot.com, which is one of our partners. Well, Miranda Morales, uh, we're getting down to that part of the show where we give the guest a chance to plug something. But I think you just plugged your podcast. And I'd like to thank you for your efforts in your ring announcing and your podcasting show. Uh, I wish you also that your good weather that we talked about before the show endures. <laughs> and I, I wish you good luck on your homework assignment of David Rudisha, yep. world record holder, 800 meters, and uh, the Ravishing Rick Rude video. I will do that. Thank you. So, yes, it is a, a good rarity to have some homework assignments. But these, again, I believe in education, as I just said. And I, you know, I got to practice what I preach. So I have to go out there and learn myself. 
Okay, well, Miranda Morales, it's been very fun. Hopefully we can do this again sometime and uh, say hi to your co-host on the show. I will. Thank you so much for your time. It was really great to be on today's show. Oh, okay. Uh, Yes, I I had fun asking the questions. (laughs) (laughs) Please tell your co-host. I hope he is is feeling better as well. Um, Hopefully he's on the mend and, uh, you know, get there soon. Oh, okay. I will tell him why. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you.